It's here, Ira Jersey, the 2020 season. Take it away. Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey, and as always, starting us off was Jason. Jason at Home Sweet Soccer. How are you doing? I mean, I guess it's technically here for at least one weekend. We still haven't gotten a schedule, so at least it's here for a weekend and maybe tentatively, temporarily. Who, who knows what's going on? And new rivalries and everything else. So why don't we talk a little about that? So one of the um, things that obviously we talked about last week was Toronto FC 2 is not playing in League 1 because of getting in and out of Canada at the moment. Um, so what do we think Jason might that do to the schedule because obviously it means that um, New England was their rival, right? So that means New England is left without a rival. Um, yeah. And they, they also obviously, you know, someone else is left without a, uh, uh, without someone left off, right? Well, so- listen, just like when you're the new kid at school, sometimes you got to eat lunch by yourself. All right. Sometimes it's going to take a little bit to, to make friends and enemies. You got to, you got to play it out, see how it works out for you. You can't just come to the school and think you own everything. So, yeah. uh, you know, it actually might be, what do you think? It might be better for them in a sense as to where they don't have to play a similar team that maybe they don't match up well against now and they might be able to spread it out more. We'll have to see what the schedule looks like, but it, it gives them more, I think of a chance than if they had to play a team like a Toronto, who's just offensively, you know, one of the best in the league to where it's a lot for a team to play four times when they're just starting. Well, it does mean, I think two things. One, um, th- because of, there being 11 teams now, it means that someone has a buy every match day, right? So that's that's one thing. So I, I think it means a, a few more midweek games, at least for a couple of the teams, like and and whoever ends up playing New England in those extra games. I think that's going to be the the trick. Um, my my guess is if I were making the schedule, I would try to figure out is there a place where New England could spend, you know, a Friday through Sunday somewhere, like Friday a whole week and then a next Sunday to play three matches. So, you know, where, and they can bust to those. So something like, a, you know, Tormenta, Greenville, Richmond, or Chatt- Chattanooga in there, maybe something like that might be. Yeah, a, it's it's going to have to be a place though with multiple training facilities, right? Or at yeah. least a, a big one. And then also during a pandemic, it's tough, right? I, I live in Georgia and even I wouldn't want to be in Georgia for more than a week if I had to be. So yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, if they're going to want to be apart away from home that long. And I don't know yeah. what they're going to do about that with quarantining. So yeah, that's, that's, tough. that's fair. So we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see presumably after this first couple of matches this coming weekend, uh, that the, the league is going to have to give us something for at least the next couple of weeks, I would think. Um, I mean, we, yeah, sure. Yeah, they, uh, we would hope, right? I mean, it's only like th- what, four, a couple of days away from the start and we don't have a schedule yet. So we'll see. Maybe they'll just give it to us every week. Like here, here's next week. And then we'll find out the next week's episode, like Dragon Ball Z. We won't ever know, you know, we'll just get a preview. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. I mean, we've done all of our homework now for, for the season preview. So I think we'll be okay. You know, well, and, we're doing this. If the season gets canceled tomorrow, I don't care. I've spent so many hours preparing for this, <laughs> preparing for my season guide. I'm putting all this out. I don't care if the season's not happening at this point. 
All right. So the the season format. So we might as well, you know, discuss this a little bit. Um, at, at least what we have now is that each team has a rival, which they are going to play four times, except New England now. Um, and then uh, each team has a team that they will not be playing against. And again, that uh, FC, uh, excuse me, Toronto FC, um, not being in the mix now, you know, makes that different too. So. Um, you know, I guess one of the things is who's, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but who benefits the most, do you think, from, you know, playing a rival four times compared to, you know, who might have the most detrimental? I mean, presumably Tucson playing North Texas, for example, a lot of people might say that that's the, the hard one. Um, I, I think most people, that would be the consensus anyway, but who, who would you pick, Jason? Yeah, so I think this is going to be big for teams who brought back a good core of their players, right, and familiarity. And so, you know, one of the things, even though Omaha looks good right now, I think Ford has a little bit of advantage in that rivalry because they work well together. They have that chemistry. They have a core, whereas Union haven't played a game yet, right? And so it's going to take a little bit for them to get their feet. And Ford is one of those teams to where they keep it close. It's always a physical, gritty game. So it's not going to be one of those games to where you can explore your offensive open field attack. It's it's always going to be constantly someone in your face. Eric Leonard is going to keep kicking you in the back of the <laughs> shin. So it, it's going to be a tough game for them. Um, so, yeah, that rivalry is something to watch just because – I think Omaha is going to be a good team and we'll talk about them a little later, but I don't think they lucked up, you know, having to play forward four times. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And when we get into the, uh, our previews, you'll, uh, you'll see me because I actually have both of those teams as, uh, as I'm previewing. So I think unless you have anything else to talk about. Um, yeah. So for the, for the people who are just, you know, watching the league for the first time to a couple of, differences this year compared to last year this year is what 20 games i believe instead of the full season because it's been narrowed down um and additionally now just like uh you know what they've been doing in europe and nwsl will be allowed to have five subs and three stoppages um i assume there'll probably be a hydration break i think in usl championship they're doing it so i assume usl league one they'll be Certainly one in well. the summer maybe when it gets a little cooler in late september october maybe right. I, I think it's also a little more for the physical fitness part of it i think a lot of, a lot of these early guys on, need a break on, after. right <laughs> yeah so uh and, one, and then, one, one other thing we should say is that the only the top two teams play in a final and that hurts that hurts because a playoffs are fun to watch and b I think this is going to be a close, close race, especially for that that second spot. I think, you know, you're going to have teams that it might come down to something like goal differential or, you know, wins and losses, you know, whatever that tiebreaker is going to be. It's going to be yeah, close. That would not surprise me if we had kind of three or four teams that were so close that it came down to some kind of either tiebreak or, um, or, or just a point or two. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if the league shouldn't have just considered just doing a single table and not bothering with that final, quite frankly. Um, cause I, I can envision a situation where the, the leader is up by like 12 points or something like that at the end of the season and clearly was the best team, but then, you know, in one game, anyone can do it, right? Someone can just bunker and counter and, you know, go yeah. days. But this is this is America. We're all about playoffs and championships. There's got to be some kind of a championship, right? And just to kind of piggyback off of my point about how close it's going to be, last year, positions two through four to get into the playoffs was a margin difference of three points. One game. 
Yeah, and actually, even even through five, it was it wound up yep. being three points at the end. But he, but it turned out that uh, um, that Chattanooga could have made it, except that they drew and yep. forward, of course, won. So had forward lost and and Chattanooga won, then then uh, Chattanooga would have made it instead of forward. So yeah, um, no, definitely, definitely, uh, you know, tight. I don't want to call it parity, but definitely a lot of teams that are uh, could potentially be very close. So. Why don't we go through each team here quickly? Well, you're going to put five minutes on the timer. Yes, we're going to do five minutes. We're going to discuss, you know, a quick recap of the 2019 season, some key transfers that happened in the off season, both coming into the club and out of the club, uh, the type of playing style. If you're not familiar with these teams, this is your first time watching. You didn't get a chance to watch last year, kind of what they did last year and maybe what we think they're going to do this year. Uh, a couple of players to watch from each team. And then uh, where we think that they're going to be at the end of the season, it, it's a tough one to judge just because of everything going on. You've got 20 games now. So you've got teams like, you know, who who started hot last year and then fell apart. And then you've got teams that took a while to catch on. So, you know, for us, this is coin flips this year, right? But uh, we're also going to throw in one bold prediction at the end. So Ira, I think you have, or actually, no, I think no, I you, have. You, it, start, right? you okay. start us off with Chattanooga Red Wolves SC, who looks like they'll be playing in their new stadium, by the way. They are. And, you know, I think uh, this year for them, uh, that first year is going to be one they're going to want to forget, right? It, even the introduction of Chattanooga, and I'm not going to get into it because I've got five minutes, but you can look it up. There's already a team in Chattanooga. There was a. Uh, possibly or not possibly some some banter going on from the coach and some you know sarcasm and it was back and forth and pity you know pettiness going on but anyway a, a couple of things they also want to forget you know in the US Open Cup Chattanooga lost to Tormenta FC2 you know League 2's team or, and so not a good look for them at the beginning of the season they got it together their whole thing last year was keeping the game close and being physical so this was a team that you know was was playing pretty much winning every home game uh but couldn't get it together on the road and so they actually lost only once at home but then only won twice on the road 24 of their 28 games were determined by a goal so that tells you how close this team was keeping things unfortunately you know it comes down to the last game of the season where they need to win again the playoffs they couldn't do it and they end the year in fifth um, and one of the biggest struggles last year was their defense and the way they created chances as well. So that, you know, they created the least amount of chances in the entire league. They were the only team to not reach 200 chances created. And then going into 2020, they lost their biggest uh, chance creator in Zaguro, who now has gone up to USL championship. And he led the team in both chances created and assist. Um, and so, you know, head coach Jimmy Ablato, they bring in a new head coach. His first priority is is shaping up the defense. So there's a possibility we're looking at a whole complete new back line. So one of the people he has brought in is Travis Nick Law, who is a 6'3 defender, a Guam national team player, now our second one in the league behind Green uh, Greenville's Dallas J. And uh, he's looking to be the leader in the back. And uh, Coach Ablato wants him to be the leader, organize them, create this new defense. And he's also a, he's also someone who can score goals. He scored goals for Guam in the World Cup qualifiers. And that's a good thing for them because when you look at Chattanooga, all their goals last year, except for three, came from within the uh, penalty box. So, you know, getting up there and getting the headers is going to be big for them. 
Uh, a couple players to watch, and the big question is who's going to create these chances, though, right? Chattanooga has a lot of good offensive players. You're talking about Stephen Beattie. Greg Hurst came on last year late in the season and was on fire. But who's getting them the balls? Who's getting Zaid the crosses he needs? So I'm looking at Pineda, and not just one Pineda. I'm talking about two Pinedas. So, you know, you've got um, um, Amergy Pineda from last year who got hot towards the end of the season. And I mean, he was the one that really turned it on for them when they needed it. Um, he had no goals, no assists, and five chances created, you know, in the first third of the season. And then the last third of the season ends with 23 chances created, four assists, and a goal. So Chattanooga has a massive amount of talent in the attack, but they're going to need someone to, you know, supply that. And I think those, uh, the Pinedo duo, they might be the ones to do it. So Hopefully, you know, they get it together. They uh, brought in a key player in Ricardo Zacarias, who is already scoring from them, has played in Liga MX uh, for the Club America U20 team as well. Um, he is somebody who looks good, and he's somebody who just adds to their offensive power they already have. I'm looking at Stephen Beattie being more of a facilitator this year. I have a feeling that he's going to lead the team and assist. He's going to be more of the creative player, him working with the Pineda duo. And yeah, so my bull prediction is that I think if they can get this offense going together, Chattanooga will have more goals than anybody else this season. Wow. Really? Yes. That, and that so definitely a bold prediction. And, so where, where do they, they, you missed the final standing. So where do they end up in the final standings? So while I do think they improve, I don't think it's going to be enough for playoffs. I think they're going to end in fourth. And you know, when you look at the goals thing, I know that sounds surprising. What's even going to be more surprising to you when I tell you this, Chattanooga actually finished uh, fourth in most goals scored last year. And North in uh, Toronto FC two and Lansing three and two that finished above them aren't playing this year. So automatically they've only got one team to beat. Wow. Um, that's yeah, that's a bold prediction. Most goals, but don't come in the top two. Wow. I just, I don't know about the defense yet, right? Any brand new defense, I can't put money on. And when I say a whole new back line, you're telling me nobody's coming. You know I mean? Like Richard Dixon's gone. Tony Walls is gone. It, it might take them a couple games to get, to get it going. So right. I think. And you start, you start 0-3 and, and that could be a problem, right? If and then, and, who, and who is there? Right? And who's their rival? Tormenta. And Tormenta has an offense, right? So yep. I don't think I don't they think they're gonna Yeah, Tormenta after that this year. Yeah, they're not gonna have an easy path. Okay. So I'm on the clock with Fort Lauderdale. You and I are gonna tag team here a little bit because there's not a lot of information on Fort Lauderdale. We don't really know their roster. Um, they haven't announced anything officially since February on on their their players. Um so a couple of things that we do know, we do know that uh, that Jason Kreiss, who was uh, the former NYCFC coach and uh, the youth national team uh, U23 coach, uh, is the head coach of the uh, of Fort Lauderdale FC. They're the uh, two team of uh, Inter Miami FC, which is obviously in Orlando right now. A couple of the players that we thought would be playing for Fort Lauderdale went to that tournament, so they'll probably miss the first couple of matches. Um, 
know, my guess is, you know, when we talk about key transfers, there are a few familiar names on the roster, right? Like Ricky Lopez Espin, for example. Like we, most people who are listening to this might remember him. Um, they also brought in a number of Cuban American players as well, um, you know, to, uh, um, you know, give them a, a test out too. Um, Jason, you have anything else to add to that before we get to standings? I mean, what kind of style do you think that they might play? Yeah, I have no idea. You, I mean, you, I, you probably watch more U.S. national team than I do, or at least U.S. youth national team. You know, what kind of what kind of style does Jason Christ have the U twenty three team doing? Well, Jason was definitely not a possession, uh, not a possession guy. But part of that was because he was the U twenty three coach under Klinsman, so he was trying to basically do the, uh, um, you know, basically absorb and counter. Um, you know, I think for new teams, that might be the easier way to go, quite frankly, because it's easier to train that, right, and use some physicality and some speed that you might have with one or two creators up front. So, um, you know, that that can work. It's not pretty soccer necessarily, but it can be effective. Um, you know, still, I, I don't think that this team is likely to do particularly well. I, I suspect that this is really for building for the first team and for the academy. Um, so, so, so I think that they'll, you know, have a few players in there that, um, you know, that, that ultimately they're, they're, they're just trying to develop. And, yep. uh, so because of that, they're going to be like a lot of the other two teams, um, that aren't North Texas and, uh, and <laughs> probably come in the bottom three because of it. Right. So yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, who, who knows those bottom three, it's going to be a couple of points here or there probably. If the fact that we don't know the full roster tells you that probably the day before the game or what even an hour before the game when the lineups come out there's going to be a lot of unfamiliar names and i'm assuming it's going to be made up of academy players especially when you're looking at the pandemic right it kind of messed up if they were planning on bringing loanies in or if they were planning on loading down people that doesn't look like it's going to happen so yeah i think they're in a situation now to where there's a couple familiar names it's unfortunate that we might not get to see breck shea until later in the year um, you know, but that's a name that people, uh, if you don't know, is playing with Inter Miami and has the possibility of loaning down. Uh, one name I do want to point out, though, it's another familiar name if you're an MLS fan, is Eduardo Sosa. And Eduardo Sosa played for Columbus Crew, and you know had a was starting to get on fire, was starting to kind of solidify a spot, got an injury, and then found it hard to get back, especially when you have to play under Higuain, who was chipping everybody, you know, like it was a birthday party. So, you know, he's a full-time starter, though, and a key player for Zamora FC in the Venezuelan League uh, during their two title uh, runs. And, you know, he made 18 appearances for Columbus. He's a very creative player, and he um, is, is good with the ball. He's good with dribbling. So I think this is a way for Fort Lauderdale to bring in players like him, you know, like a Ricky Espin and prep them for possibly making the jump to the team, right? It's not one of those things to where North Texas kind of brought in some loanies, but they have such just a copious amount of academy kids who are so good that the loanies aren't necessarily pinpointed to make that jump to their first team, right? Maybe it's a coin flip, they go, but I think with Fort Lauderdale, the guys that they're bringing, they think have a genuinely good chance of making the bench of that first team. So when you look at Eduardo, I think that's a player who's going to be hungry to prove himself. He's going to want to score goals. He's going to want to be the anchor of that offense. Um, and so I'm excited to see a player like that. I, I think we're going to, you're going to hear me say much the same thing when we get down to new England revs too, as well. Um, you know, they, they really are using, 
you know, using that as a platform uh, or using the, their second team as a platform to basically try out a lot of a lot of guys who might be, you know, squad players on the first team. Um, so my bold prediction, and maybe maybe this is the only team that we'll have two bold predictions for, uh, but my bold prediction is that Fort Lauderdale will have the most players in and out of the roster for the season. And only because we don't know who they are and there might be a ton of people loaned down and a lot of Academy kids come up to see what sticks. Um, and that's mine. Yeah. Well, I don't have time for mine. So uh, <laughs> you, right. you heard the ringer, so we got to move on. Okay, here we go. Forward Madison FC. I'm taking this one. Uh, last year they made the playoffs. They came in fourth place uh, on the last day of the season by beating Lansing Ignite at Lansing Ignite. So that was a, a definitely a big win for them. Um, they then fell to North Texas in the first round of the playoffs, which, uh, you know, you can't blame them for. North Texas was so dominant last year. Um, they had massive energy from their supporters. They had uh, the best attendance in the league. In fact, they had uh, one of the best attendance uh, averages in all of USL, um, you know, championship or um, uh, um Championship or League One, they had 4,300 fans per match. A um, couple of key transfers. Um, I, I'm calling this one a key one. So, so from Richmond Kickers, they got Eli Lockabee, who I thought showed pretty well as a as a wing back on the right hand side for Richmond. So, um, you know that that might be a, a really good. Uh, get for for them. He's he's pacey and can whip in uh, whip in crosses pretty well. And that's of course one of the ways, as I'll mention in a moment, that forward has tended to like to play, in my my opinion. Uh, but they did lose their v very good goalkeeper Brian Silvestri, and um, you know Brian made some really really key acrobatic save last year. And without him, they might have not made the playoffs. So. Um, so that is certainly a position of concern. Um, they did try to add there, but you know, they're kind of some unknown quantities, I think. Um, they do have a relationship with, uh, with Minnesota. And, uh, so you could wind up seeing, uh, um, some transfers, uh, f from there too, but you know, who knows, uh, in Chicago, right. Chicago or too, yeah. yeah. I think Chicago so this not, year. Not exclusive. They're, 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 they're not exclusive dating anyone. Flamingos are promiscuous. We, who, who knew? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they tend to play in, in what I would call a, a four, three, three formation to start with, uh, but, but definitely try to attack down the flanks. They, they don't play down the middle very often. Uh, they have a couple of guys on the outside. So, uh, Paolo jr. And JC banks tend to be, uh, drift wide and, and try to get crosses in or attack from, um, from the flanks. Um, the uh, but the key and the player to watch, um, and you will be completely unsurprised about this, Jason. But it's Eric Leonard. I mean, you mm. already mentioned him on this podcast. The the key to a lot of what uh, the the way that forward Madison defended last year uh, was came was because Eric Leonard was kind of that linchpin in the middle, and he stopped a lot of very promising attacks early and was able to get the ball out wide for pro very promising counterattacks. Um, another player to watch is also Paolo Jr. Just the way that he cuts inside from from the left, um, he often goes in the middle, but then he'll drift out wide to the left and and uh, and cut inside. Um, final standings, I think they'll come in third place and just miss out on mm. making the final by a squeaker. It'll be like just a point or two and come down to the last day and the second place team will, uh, you know, basically have to, uh, um, basically have to win on the last day for forward, not to make it. But here's my bold uh, prediction, which some people won't, won't like very much, but 
they will have a 500 record against their rival Union Omaha, mm. but they'll get the bragging rights because they will come a- ahead of Omaha in the table. Okay. So, um, that that's uh, that's my bold prediction. And, okay, uh, I like that. And yeah, I, I I agree with you on the Lockerbie thing. Um, you know, they they brought in a striker from Hartford Athletic, Vucic uh, Vojcik, um, who is a six three. Are you are you going to correct me? I, I don't. You look like you wanted to correct my pronunciation. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying that it. You know, bringing anyone it, from Hartford Athletic you, is. Um, you know. We don't. We don't know. Like, yeah, he's six three. He's going to be a target man, right? But right. But, know, but for no them, but, but for them, players. they didn't have one last year, right? Like Danny Tenario continuously got injured. They brought in Oliver White late. You know, Brian Bennett played a couple of games. So with them, even though you know their their scheme, like you said, is interchanging, going wide and middle. You got Don Smart. You got Paulo Junior. They can kind of flow anywhere. I think with them having that target up front, having someone that can hold the ball up, it'll change, especially. Because because, and like you said, bringing in Eli Lockerbie, you know, Carter Manley was, I think, somebody who was extremely underrated in this league and for that team. He produced a ton of attacking by, you know, intercepting the balls and then overlapping down the side and allowing for those forwards and attacking players to get that space and be able to drift and drawing in those defenders. And so, yeah, it's, it's it'd be interesting to see how much of their attack changes based off of having, a, you know, consistent target striking person up top yeah well when don smart and and uh and manly combined on the wings it was really um it was really dangerous for all right so reset and jason you have greenville triumph oh okay well greenville triumph uh leagues i you know league's best defense i think that's pretty much inarguable and you can look at that because they pretty much topped the uh the stats in pretty much every defensive category in the league uh least goals allowed last season most clean sheets uh they are just a team that is hard to break through finished third in the standings and then were runner-up uh, after losing the Lord, uh, north texas in the championship uh, they started the season slow last year. They only won three of their first 10 games, but then they started to find a little groove and went on a 10-game win streak where they posted eight shutouts. Eight of 10. Wild. So scoring nine goals in that month, which it took them almost the first three months to score nine goals in total. So, however, when things started finally looking good, it looked like Greenville went to Jamaica, got their groove back like Stella. Unfortunately, their star striker, Jake Keegan, went down to a season-ending injury. And that's when you started seeing a little bit of the things that Greenville needed to work on. Their offense was carried uh, by their midfield, particularly Carlos Gomez. And you start to kind of see the lack of depth and, you know, players with the scoring ability that they needed. Um, and so I think that is going to be the number one thing that John Harks is focused on this year. And you can tell that by their transfers. Um, and so, you know, one of the big names that they brought in was Alex Morrell. Alex, a USL championship uh, veteran, uh, somebody who not only can score goals, but create goals and can probably play in three different positions. He's just tireless. He's all over the place. I think he's going to be someone to where, you know, if, if something, you know, midweek games are happening or Keegan does go down or if there's some kind of injury, he'll be someone that they can plug in and immediately keep up that offensive tempo. Uh, a couple of their key outs too, because they're going to need him. They lost Christopher Bermudez, who was a winger uh, now at Real Monarchs. He was one of their, you know, their, their talents to where not a lot of people knew about him. He came onto the scene, really caught on late. 
and, and was really talented. But more importantly, they lost, you know, some big defensive names. Uh, Kevin Pulitz went to Hartford Athletic and Cole Seiler retired last year. And so you're looking at two guys, Kevin Pulitz, one of the best defenders in the league, probably made all defense uh, in USL League One. Uh, and Cole Seiler, who was leading the league in aerial duels, won. Um, you know, they were they were a duo back there clearing the ball. Cole was also a player that can play in the middle if they needed him. So, you know, uh, while their defense was their foundation, it, it struck, you know, they, they lost a couple of key components, which is why I think the player to watch this year is Brandon Fricky. Uh, and so with, with the departure of Kevin Pulitz, and you need somebody who is going to be able to win those one-on-one defensive battles. You need someone who is a good passer. We actually got to interview Brandon last week. And one of the things he said that they're focused on this year is passing out the back. Uh, you know, Coach Harks wants to be more offensive. He doesn't want to have to rely on the defense, which is, you know, a good thing in a 20-game season that's compact where you're going to have tired legs, right? Whereas other teams can consistently bring in offensive players, new legs to tire you out. You're going to want to make sure that you control more of the ball in your midfield. Uh, and so Brandon Fricky is a great passer, a great one-on-one defender. And so he's going to be that person to kind of, you know, be the pivot of that back line and really be able to, to pull them together. Um, so him working with Tyler Polak to uh, launch attacks, it, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, you look at people like Abdi Muhammad, who is the cousin of Omar Muhammad, who's already on the team. He's in there. You, they, they bolted up the midfield a little bit, like I said, with more depth. Uh, this is a team that I think uh, will might, might take a little bit in the beginning to gel just because they have so many moving parts. But I think that the foundation is going to be the same. I think that they are going to play – uh, with the same intensity, they're going to still be hard to break down. And Ira, I got them finishing first this year. I think that their defense so, is enough to keep it close for the first three or four games. And then once they hit their groove, they're going to be hard to stop. So do I. So I think that that's true too. And I think Brandon, uh, you know, Brandon's interview last week, I think was pretty telling about exactly what you said. And of course, if Jake Keegan can stay healthy too, um, you know, I think that they have, they, they were really starting to click in the, in, the, you know, toward the end of the season. And then when he got injured, um, you know, they, they basically had to get a couple of lucky goals. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, the, the second half of the season, I think they kind of got it down and, and with another, you know, preseason under their belt, I think that they'll, uh, they'll do well. Brings me to my bold prediction, Ira. What's and that? that is Jake Keegan will finish second. In the Golden Boot race. Ooh. And I will tell you who I think will finish first in a little bit. Uh, okay. And I'm going to disagree with you. So, okay. So, <laughs> let's reset the timer. And I'm probably not going to take the full time because I'm doing New England Revolution 2. Uh, the two team, obviously, for the New England Revolution, a, uh, a MLS original side. Um so this is another interesting team. I mean, very much like what how you described Jason um, uh, Fort Lauderdale. This is a team that's going to be both for developing players, but at the same time trialing players too. So they've already signed a number of uh, international players. They had three international players that they've signed on, young guys who are under the age of 23, um, basically uh, similar to maybe how MLS draft picks would be chosen. So definitely players who um, have the potential to move up, but but you know the MLS side didn't want to sign them immediately, so um, so, so they take uh, so, so they they take these guys and play them in League One at least for 
for for a little while until they prove themselves. Uh, there will be a bunch of academy players. In fact, they've signed a number of them already to USL academy contracts. Um, but there's also four US uh, MLS draft picks that are um, signed for the team right now. Um, and I think, you know, you, you have this interesting mix of kind of seasoned players in general, like college players and international players, along with some really young academy guys who are going to get bloodied during the season. So, you know, if they can if they can put things together, then this could look very much like Toronto FC2 did last year, Jason, I think, where, um, where basically you can have a team that gels if they're all on the same page. Um, and they could play some attractive soccer, but of course there's going to be a lot of young players. So keeping that consistency is going to be a big issue. Um, uh, in terms of playing style, I think that coach PA, uh, who is a very experienced coach, he'll have them playing very much like the first team is, is playing. So a lot of counter pressing and, um, and, and ball control, um, the, uh, you know, I think his job, though, still primarily will be to prepare players for the first team, and that means that they're going to have to um, uh, th- that they're going to have to get into that style. And he said on this podcast because we talked to him uh, uh, back in March that they wanted to he wanted to instill a winning mentality on his players, but at the same time, that was not the first priority of the team. It was to develop players. Um, you know, I think any of the international players will be players to watch. I mean, I, I haven't seen a lot of tape on them, Jason. I don't know if you have. Um, but if, uh, if not, then, you know, I think those will be the guys really to, to think about. Um, I think that they'll finish eighth out of, out of 11. Um, I think that that's, so not the bottom, but they'll, they'll do okay. And, uh, you know, for my bold prediction, I think that new England will have a winning record against the, uh, MLS and USL, uh, championship, uh, two sides. Mm, so we got Tucson for Orlando, North Texas. Yep. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're scraping at the the Florida barrel with that (laughs) one, but I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I am excited. I do think offensively they're going to be fun to watch. Uh, You look at a couple of names like Orlando Sinclair, you've got um, Presley, you know, Connor Presley is somebody who I think is going to be really fun to watch down the side, sending in crosses. Kind of, you know, with a kind of similar to his namesake and Connor Antley, right? One of those players who can intercept the ball and then start the attack right away. Um, had a lot of nice give and goes in USL Championship when he played for Loudon. Um, so yeah, I think Coach Richie, our assistant coach Richie, brought him um, for a reason. I think that's a, one of the people that I'm excited to see. All right, so I think uh, you know it'll be really interesting to see how they play. I think I think that they're more like a, probably more like a Toronto FC two than they are at one of the Florida team or yeah. Orlando City B. You know, in yeah, my, I, my I, I, and then my biggest question with them is defense, right? Yep. And so, uh, like they, I think they they have a good goalkeeper and former Richmond keeper Joe Rice, uh, former Lions Bridge keeper. So uh, the question is, who's in front of them? You know, like right. and and what kind of experience do they have in front of them? So exactly. I think that's going to be the thing to watch. All right. And Jason, reset that clock because you're on the clock with last year's champions. The champs are here. North Texas SC, the two team for FC Dallas, who are FC Dallas is not playing in the MLS's back tournament. No. And so uh, the big question is how many FC Dallas players are going to come down this year, right? I'm sure a lot of owners and players are looking like, okay, what's the limit of players that they're allowed to bring down? Am I just going to be playing FC Dallas this year? Because, 
you know, this team last year, such an exciting, fun team to watch. It's not the same team this year. Uh, they are going to be missing up to eight of what their usual starters were in 2019. That is what, you know, that's an amazing uh, amount of players that they're going to be missing. Right. Um, and so, and that yeah, includes. Ex- exactly. That's why. And, and, you know, when you get to the standings, that's why I don't have them. I don't have them winning for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I, so, but, uh, and, and that includes, you know, the league MVP and Arturo Rodriguez. That includes, you know, defenders who are now playing in USL championship like Breck Evans. That includes a midfield that controlled the ball so well in Tanner Testament. Uh, you know, we talked about defenders with Kyle Montgomery. You know, this is the new generation. So we're going to see a lot of these academy kids. They still do have the golden boot winner from 2019, Ronaldo, Ronaldo Damas. Um, but this team... And their style of play, if you didn't get to watch them last year, they are what I call a well-oiled machine. They are a passing machine. It is insane that that academy has made these kids into the best passers on this planet. No player uh, with more than 300 passes had less than a 78% accuracy. And that includes 17 different players. So you're 17 different players pass the ball more than 300 times forward not back obviously with a 78 percent passing accuracy uh least turnovers in the league most midfield duels won north texas never really gave the ball away they didn't make mistakes uh and you know it's it's easy to say oh this is a new team a new generation but right last year arturo rodriguez wasn't necessarily a household name uh you know you you have a lot of players who we didn't know of and now we're saying you know we're they're, we're looking forward to making USL championship appearances. So who knows what they are bringing in as far as the Academy kids, it's a new generation, but they do have a couple of veterans that uh, I think will help out with them. So one of my players to watch is uh, Lamar Batista. And for those who didn't get to watch the league last year, Lamar Batista was loaned down to FC Tucson from LAFC. And he is a big, 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 big individual. All right. And that's all you need to know. Um, So the thing about North Texas and probably their only weakness was defending free kicks and corners. And that was because of their height and physicality. They lack the height. A lot of times like teams like Ford can beat them by keeping the game close, keeping it physical defensively, and then trying to steal one on a corner kick or a free kick with a header. Um, And when we actually saw that last year, that, that seemed to be their kryptonite, right? They had a hard time, you know, beating for that way. So I think they specifically went out to make sure that they got somebody who can be that enforcer in the back. And that I, I think is what a Patista will be this year. But the player I am most excited to see is Alex Bruce. And so Alex Bruce, you know, last year, um, North Texas had Ricardo Pepe. He went up to FC Dallas and then that left most of the striking load to go to Ronaldo Damas, who obviously took it extremely well, uh, had no problem with it, won golden boot. But one of the things about Ronaldo is he's also a pretty good passer and he also draws a lot of attention and a lot of defenders. So I think we're going to see a little bit of a new offensive scheme this year. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a two striker, you know, duo up top. I wouldn't be surprised to see if, you know, Dom is kind of 
cuts wide more and is, is crossing into Alex. Uh, Alex is very good at making those runs and making the attack at net. Uh, he's good with his head. He's good at, at finishing. So, you know, this is going to be interesting for North Texas because they have a balance between these new academy kids, a couple of you know players that they got on loan, and, and then who knows what happens with FC Dallas, right? They do those players, especially in the beginning of the year, have to get some kind of you know some kind of training going, right? The ones that you know don't have COVID, they've got to do something. They just can't not play and wait for this tournament in Orlando to end and then start playing. You know, a you know for what that would be what six months since or five months since their last game. Um, so yeah, but my bold prediction, uh, because of this system, and I think I don't think the offense slows down for North Texas. Your golden boot winner is Alex Bruce. Alex Bruce, wow, that uh, with Ronaldo Davis out there and maybe Ricardo I, Pepe coming down, that's saying something. I, I think that yeah, if if Alex Bruce is a consistent <laughs> starter, right? If Ricardo doesn't come down and and they keep him as a consistent starter, I think like I said, I think they change the system a little bit, and you'll see Damas. He'll still get his goals, but he you'll see him start getting a lot more assistance, being a lot more facilitator right. than the finisher. Interesting. All right. Well, I am on the clock with Union Omaha, another new club this year that uh, is going to be rivals with Forward Madison. And when we get to my uh, my, my bold prediction, uh, you, th- it'll have something to do with that. Um, new year, lots of familiar faces, though, on this team, uh, Jason, as you know. So it's coached by former Real Salt Lake Academy coach system, um, uh, Jay Mims, and he spent six years at the University of Nebraska Omaha before that. Um, two key, a couple of key guys who came in, guys that we know from uh, f- uh, from Lansing. So Elma N4 and Xavier Gomez, you have to keep an eye on them. They know how to win. They made the finals last year. Uh, excuse me, they made the playoffs last year. Uh, missed out on the finals just by a little. Um, you know, also you know playing style not so sure. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how coach Mims does it. I, I don't think that he'll necessarily copy the real salt Lake style. I suspect that he'll have his own, um, it, you know, given that he has X and Elma though, I, I suspect that it'll be attacking at some, some level, right. Whether it's, you know, wing attacks or, or um, you know, maybe, maybe taking the Lansing uh, approach of, you know, having some, uh, you know, definitely overloads on maybe one side and then keeping a, a couple of your best one-on-one defenders out there in an Island, similar to what happened with Grant Stoneman um, uh, last year for Lansing. Um I really, you know, the players to watch, I really want to see their goalkeepers. So I don't know if you've ever seen him, but Rashid uh, Nuhu, um, he played for the New York Red Bulls U23s in USL League Two. He also played for the Red Bulls Two uh, for only for four games, but he was behind, um, you know, two players that wound up, that were spot starters on the first team. So he didn't get a lot of looks, only played four times, but he's 6'4", um, you know, really, you know, pretty acrobatic. So so I, I suspect that he'll get the the look. So um, so he's my player to watch for now. Is is you know how is their goalkeeper also um, you know keeping the back line in order, making sure how much how well do they communicate together uh, as we get the uh, the season started here. Um, the um, uh, let's see where do I think that they'll finish. I think that they'll finish fourth behind Madison, but only wow. on the wins tiebreaker. So okay. I, I think that uh, that they'll have one less win than, than forward. Um, so again, like third and fourth between forward and Union Omaha. Um, uh, 
you know, my my bold prediction here is that Union Omaha will rival Forward Madison for the most uh, for the best attendance um, given whatever metric you look at. So percentage of potential right. <laughs> um, per- percentage of potential fans and seats. So, um, you know, sellouts maybe should have, will have to be the, uh, will have to be the, the metric for that. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame we don't get a, a full year with, you know, regular attendance and everything, but it, it, in all honesty, I think you're right. I think that, you know, for them, I think, defensively I'm more curious to see what they what they're going to do cuz when you look at their preseason games I think they had four games and only allowed one or two goals like throughout all four games they they looked good including against uh Real Monarchs yep. um and so if they can organize that defense and they look good the first three or four games, then the attacking is going to come, right? Because the defense is the first concern, you know, getting the familiarity, be, getting comfortable. And then you've got players, you know, like Sebastian Contreras, who is a proven chance creator like he did just last year in USL Championship with El Paso. And yep. so when you got players like that, you know, and, and a veteran player, a 30-year-old, you know, playmaker that can uh, can really open up the game, I think then you get N4 – uh, you know, starting to make those runs. Xavier Gomez feels comfortable moving up on the field and doesn't necessarily have to rely on being a defensive shield, you know, for that back line. They, they can be a fun team if they get that defense together. Yeah, I suspect X will be more of an eight than a six in uh, uh, in this system. At least that's uh, just looking at some of the players and what we know about them. Um, I suspect that that's kind of he'll be the guy to push forward. Uh, I'm sure. And, I'm sure he and, loves that. I'm sure he's just oh, yeah. ecstatic hearing you say that. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right. So that's it from me on that. So let's go to the team that had a negative 29 goal differential last year. Oh, Finished the say it. You, you, bottom why'd you, why'd you put so much emphasis on that? <laughs> it, I mean, it was like 20 goals. It was, it was bad. 20 goals less than the next worst team. So it was, it was bad. It uh, was bad. So anyway, Orlando City B. Um, yes. Who are supposed to be playing in a new stadium, uh, just like North Texas, which you didn't mention, because North Texas will be also playing in uh, Arlington this year. Oh, I did it. Um, in a huge stadium. Yeah. So uh, uh, listen to my, uh, I actually talked to Matt Denny a couple of, uh, uh, what was that last week or the week before? Um, so listen, to, go back and listen to that podcast about uh, the the um, the stadium and what they were planning on doing for social distancing in uh, in Arlington uh, when North Texas plays. But you're on the clock now with Orlando City B. Yeah, I also we also didn't mention that Fort Lauderdale might have the low key nicest stadium in the league, but we'll get back to that at another time because I'm here to talk about the last place Orlando City B a team that never really formed any kind of identity. There was no consistency in the lineup. Uh, The worst back line in the league conceded 52 goals, and then the worst offensive production only producing 23, uh, which you guessed is also last in the league. So, you know, they started the year okay. Three of their – or their four wins from all season came in the first 11 games last year. So it wasn't like they started terribly. Uh, they just ended very terribly and ended it to the point to where they fired their coach uh, with only four games remaining. So that's always a great sign. Um, and I don't think they have appointed a new coach yet. So they are using their academy coach right now as their interim coach. Um, one thing that you'll learn about OCB is – 
I'll say the words, I don't know a lot because none of us know because they do not communicate. Uh, They are very good at just posting at the bare minimum of what the league requires for a team to post as far as a lineup and maybe a score after the game. Um, And so, yeah, it's tough to know what we're getting, but I do have some news for OCB fans. If you're expecting things to be different this year, you're absolutely right, except it might be worse. Uh, (laughs) And the reason why I'm saying this is because they're only bringing back two players from last year in Austin Amer and Moises Tablate, both two very good players. But this year, the plan was to loan down more first team players to kind of get them going, get them integrated and practicing like Toronto FC2 did or Toronto FC did with Toronto FC2. However, after a multiple amount of first-team players tested positive for coronavirus, it looks like that as of right now, OCB will not be uh, receiving any first-team players on loan for the year. Um, and then, oh, for, and, for the and, year, for the year, not yes, not just for the MLS's back for the year. They are not wow. taking any chances. So you add that with the fact that. They only got a certain amount of loan players, loanees, before the pandemic started. One of them uh, did not end up signing because he got uh, uh, busted with guns and drugs on an Instagram video. You can you can look that up yourself if you would like. Uh, and another is looking at a season-ending injury. So the majority of the team is going to be all academy players uh, and all new academy players at that. So this is going to be a very difficult year for them. Um, you know, at least last year they had players like Tiago D'Souza um, that can take players one-on-one and had that, you know, talent and, you know, made for an exciting game or exciting times once in a while. Um, we don't know what they have right now in these academy players, all the loans that they had last year. There looks like they're only going to have about three that might be playing this year. And so, yeah, it's, it's not looking good. Um, if you want to look at, if you're, if you're a half full, half glass full kind of a guy, um, a player that I would like to see is Alexander Glubachevic. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly it. You don't even have to look it up. Cause I already know <laughs> I nailed it. Uh, he is a six, five and I repeat six, five <laughs> Serbian striker. Um, who played, I believe, at Florida International, one, one of those colleges in Florida. I can't remember exactly. Um, and and what, the high school, what is that? High, I can't remember now. But Florida has like a famous high school that they bring in international players from. And he scored 35 goals in his senior year. Uh, so he's definitely somebody who can find the net. And then one of the things that Orlando struggled with last year was defending uh, aerials, right? They were, they came in dead last in aerial duels. And so, you know, they kind of kill two birds with one stone with this player. Uh, you know, he's someone that can defend on corners from the other team and score them for their team. So, you know, you look at him and, you know, I think Tablante showed signs of, of some really great play last year. Didn't get to play consistently. Nobody did. I think they only had three players play 20 games or more. Uh, so this would be the year maybe we get to see him. But for my bold prediction, I don't think they won a game outside of maybe one in Florida. What? Okay, so you're saying that they win, they go one and one, ten, and nine or something. Yes, they win one game. <laughs> okay. I think maybe they they catch 
Fort Lauderdale, you know, off guard, get a PK and and lock it down. But I don't I don't see them winning anything more than one game this year. Wow. How many how many points do you think total? Like eight or you know, is it Yeah, I, that's a good number. I can see I mean, like there's a there's a possibility of sixty points. So um, say three and then and then five they, five draws. Will they draw that's five's a lot. That's that's a big number for me. I don't you almost um, had me pull out a second hand for for for, for oh, wow. nah, I mean, I, maybe, yeah. I'll, I'll say eight because I, I want to. I want I want people to still watch these games. I still, you know, we don't know what kind of academy players they have, right? They might have, you know, eleven other Tablantes, and you know, you have a, a, a team that could compete. But yeah, it's not looking good, right? All right. Well, I am on the clock now with the Richmond Kickers, um, the team that is the uh, the oldest in um, uh, in the league and is came down from the championship to start the season last year. Uh, they had a very disappointing first season in League One, um, and uh, after coming in um, ninth place, they replaced their coach. Uh, they now have former FC Tucson head coach Darren Sawatsky as uh, as their head coach. Um, key transfers, you know, the the you know we already talked about Eli Lockerbie a little bit, but I, I think the big one offensively was Joe Gallardo. He was their creator in the middle, kind of a number ten. Could also drift out wide. Um, had the goal of the season, I think, in, in our opinion, uh, last year against South Georgia. Um, definitely, definitely a big loss offensively. But that being said, they did add some talent, particularly on the back line. So Kyle Ventner, uh, great one v one defender, came from FC Tucson. So Coach Sawatsky clearly, you know, knew him, wanted him. Um, Kyle uh, is uh, um, going to bolster that back line a little bit. My guess is just based on the number of players they have there, they might try to play three in the back. That would be my. That's a total guess, but that is a possibility. Um, and uh, and of course they got Connor Antley's brother Ian Antley, and uh, you know Jason, I, I know you uh, you know thought that uh, you know Ian co- going there was uh, was really interesting just because of how successful Connor was, but I think he also bol- has something that Eli doesn't, and that's a little bit more strength, um, a and, little and physicality. And man is Popeye, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except both arms, not only one, right? Um, yeah, so you know, I, I think that the playing style will be a little bit different um, than than uh, Coach Sawatsky played at, at Tucson. You know, it's, Coach Sawatsky can play um, how he wants, so he's not kind of beholden to um, you know what Phoenix wanted him to do with the players. Um, I think it's also really interesting that he's not going to have players going up and down, right? Last year, one of Tucson's big problems, as we'll discuss, is they had massive roster rotation. Um, Richmond won't have that problem, so therefore Coach Sawatsky is getting the players that he wants. Um, and, uh, and and I think that um, that will allow him to play a little bit more of an attacking style, kind of what maybe what we saw later in the year uh, last year from, uh, from FC Tucson after they got um, – a lot of their players together, and with guys like Mwape, uh on the outside, um, you, you know they they have some pace. They have some. Um, they they need more f- better finishing. I mean, that was really um, the kicker's problem last time. They kept on losing a lot of points from winning positions because they couldn't put in a second goal. Um, so I, I suspect that uh, that that they're working significantly on finishing this year. 
Um, the player to watch for me is Riley Kraft. So he had come in midway through the season last year, uh, showed pretty well, particularly late in the season after he got uh, some chemistry with everyone. And he's he's good at ball retention. He kind of plays as a number eight. He you know, can play as a six, but um, but he's a good distributor of the ball. So I think that uh, um, that if he plays well, he's the guy you have to watch in the middle. Um so here's my bold prediction, which you're going to laugh at me, I'm sure, Jason, uh, just like I laughed at you about OCB a little bit, although I can't say I disagree with you on that one. But I think the kickers make the finals. I think that Darren Sawatsky will get this team just getting you know just good enough that they're going to be able to squeak into the finals in second place. Who is scoring goals? That's always the big. Because uh, last time I checked, to get to a final, you probably need to score a goal or two. And I, I, I look at that roster, and I don't know who's scoring goals. I, you know, maybe this is a little bit of my homerism because you know, if I had to pick one of the teams to be supporting, it would probably be the kickers. But um, the, uh, I, I just. You know, so so here's the thing. Yes, you need goal scorers, but you also need that chemistry and and to create chances. Last year, the kickers were really good at like possessing the ball, right? And they kept on getting the ball into the final third, but they didn't create chances. And I think that that coach Swatsky will get them um, will will get them good enough that they'll create a lot of chances. And because they're creating those chances, you wind up with goals. And I think there were a couple of players last year who maybe, um, were used out of position. You didn't have, like I said, you didn't have that chemistry from, you know, like guys like Riley Kraft all throughout the year to be able to, uh, create in the final third. Um, so, you know, do, do they necessarily have a natural nine? No. Um, you know, I'd love to see like Jordan Jones go there. Cause I think that, you know, if uh, coach Swatsky w- would have been able to convince him to come, um, you know, then it would have been pretty obvious. Um, but you know, anyway, that's just what I, what I suspect here. Seven uh, games last year where they were goalless nine, they lost from a one goal difference. So it's, it's, it's there, right? You know, they, yeah. they win even four of those nine goal difference games or, you know, get, in four draws, they're they're all of a sudden in playoff contention. So I, I are they in the finals? No. No, 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 no. But but I do think that they have a they have a lot better of a chance to uh to climb the the standings this year. All right. So you are on the clock now with South Georgia Tormenta. Yes. South Georgia Tormenta, if you are a fan of teams who are building from scratch uh, and then bring everything together in one cohesive unit. You will love Tormenta. Uh, They have everything that you would want in American soccer. They are building multiple academies through the South region. Uh, They are opening up their new stadium next year. Uh, They have, you know, a a foundation of a successful, you know, youth team coming from League Two with their Tormenta Two team to where, you know, the season before they joined um, League One, you know, Tormenta FC went undefeated in their season. And, you know, they have they have a great system under head coach John Milleracy, a team that started last year hotter than any other, losing only one game in their first 12. Um, and so, you know, when, when we were talking about last year, the first thing we were talking about is, well, you have brand new teams, you have teams that have existed because Tormenta has this foundation because they have this system, you know, they were ready. They had the chemistry, they had everything that they needed. So they came out the gates hot 
However, uh, you know, midseason they they hit an injury bug and they hit one bad. You know, they lost Lucas Coutinho for the full season. They lost players to go into Germany and then not being able to come back. It was for various reasons they were losing people. And when they lost people, they lost games. And so as much as they only lost one game in their first 12, they only won one game in their last 12 to close out the season. So, you know, a, a, a big plummet for them. Um, and so like Greenville, I think one of the things that they were forced to look at was their depth, right? They tried to bring up Tormenta two players last year, Tormenta two, again, in lead to a very good team would beat Chattanooga Red Wolves in us open cup. Um, so it shows you the quality that they had, uh, even producing players all over the world, including in the English premier league right now and Aston Villa. So, you know, they have the quality that they can bring up, but I think because they were brought up in the middle of the season, kind of not, you know, being ready to, to integrate with the team, not necessarily knowing that level of competition from the jump from league two to league one. Um, you know, it was tough for them to kind of get there. So, Going into the offseason, you know, a lot of a lot of things that they needed to do was depth. They need to bring in uh, they bolter up that midfield, especially, um, you know. So when you look at some of the people they brought in, like like Devin Jamga from FC Tucson, somebody who is able to get the ball, you know, get wide, uh, you know, create a lot of havoc in the midfield. Uh, one of the players get it behind my goodness. Yeah, I mean, Devin yeah. was really good at FC Tucson. And get when you, and, and when you look at Marco Micheletto and you look at, uh, you know, Coutinho, these are guys who are going to be, you know, licking their chops to get some through balls up to him and, uh, you know, have those defenders get drawn to him. Um, you know, they also lost players in Alex Morrell, Charlie Dennis, who's now FC Tucson, Dalton Nutson and Kobe Perez, who are at Union Omaha, but their biggest loss was Connor Antley. And Connor Antley is a huge loss for them because not only was he the M uh, USL defender of the year, he also created more chances than anybody else on the team. And so when I mentioned Antley Morrell and Charlie Dennis, those three combined combined for more than half of the chances created on that team. It was their top three chance creators. So they're going to need some production in the midfield. And so by bringing in someone like Jamga, you, you think that Micheletto Coutinho start looking to be more of, you know, some playmakers, but the, the player that I'm watching is Luca Mayor and Luca Mayor came from their tormented two team. He's an Austrian was one of the best players in league two. Um, he's a goal scorer. And more importantly, he's also a creator. So he's someone that, has the ability to kind of pick up the void, you know, that Charlie, Dennis, and Antley and Morrell left, right? They're going to need that offensive production. They can't rely on counterattacks. They can't rely on down the side play anymore. They're going to need someone in the middle to kind of create that. And so I think Luca is one of those players that really has a good chance of creating that. Um, you know, Pato is coming in as a striker, you know, Pato Botella fast from Lansing Ignite, somebody that hits the net hard, somebody that can do it with his head and his foot. So, you know, I, I'm looking for a, a lot of more uh, corner kicks won from Tormenta. You know, that was something that they didn't have too much success with. Now they've got Pato. Now they've got players who can spread the offense, kind of spread the field, get through balls to him. You know, he can have a big year depending on if this Tormenta offense clicks. And if they do, Ira, I think that they have a shot at making the finals. And that is my bold prediction. That's a uh, not as bold as mine, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, we're I doing, could, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I could, I could see them there. Um, in fact, I had them actually coming in first and, uh, in the league. I, I mean, I really liked what they, what they did. Um, excuse me. I didn't have them first. I'm sorry. Mm. I, I didn't have them first. Cause I had uh, Greenville first. Right. Um, but anyway, so it's certainly no, because I had Richmond second, I guess I had them fifth. Oh, I have to go back and look. I, I don't have them. <laughs> You're like, I can see um, them there at fifth. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, quite frankly, it's, uh, you know, when we first did our predictions earlier in the year before we uh, had to scrap that show because of COVID, um, you know, I, I I definitely had Tormenta in the playoffs, right, and and up there. Right. But now now that there's not playoffs, um, there's just the final. <laughs> it's, and and, it's and the way I look at it is a 20 game season, right? Yep. So when we talk about coming out the gates, what did they do last year? Like I said, they only lost one game in their first 12. If they can keep the form to where they they defense is sound. Uh, you know, Reese Williams is able to plug in where, you know, Antley left, um, you know, Phelps can have a season that he had last year again this year. All they need to do is get that connection going with Pato, with Jumbo, you know, and all of a sudden they can hit a- another 12 game run to where they're not losing. And that's all it takes to get into the to the finals. Right. It's whatever team can put together streaks. I've seen Torment to put together a streak. So you know, when you talk about condensed schedule, that's what I'm looking at. Well, like you meant, like you mentioned, too, had they stayed healthy last season, they uh, you know, they probably would have made the playoffs. Um, yeah, would have been my guess. Um, so I'm on the clock now with our last team of the night before we do questions, and that is FC Tucson, the two team for Phoenix Rising. Um, so FC Tucson has, you know, a diff- had a, almost a different back line every single match last year because they kept on getting players loaned down from the first team. Um, so even though Kyle Ventner was probably one of the only guys who was there regularly and he's a really good one-on-one uh, defender. He didn't have any consistency with the other guys in the back line. So they leaked a lot of goals um, and, and not because Ejimadu was a bad goalie either, who was their goalie last year. Um, but it, it was just consistency and they just gave up too many chances as opposed to uh, uh, being, you know, bad in, individually. Um, key transfers out. They had a load, a load of players out. So this team is going to look way different than it did last year. Um, do we even know where Jordan Jones is? Um, so I, have, have you I, found out? Cause I, I, couldn't. I, I don't, and I don't know if the Lee, I don't know. I, I imagine he's somewhere secluded in the Himalayas. Um, <laughs> like, because the fact that nobody has reached out to him or the fact that I've not heard of people reaching out to him and him denying them, uh, he was last spotted at a Portland Timbers game, uh, when the MLS season first started. Uh, and that was the last time I've seen or heard anything of Jordan Jones. So I have no idea what's going on. Well, anyway, so, I mean, he would be a good get for a lot of teams in this league, but, um, but so, so they lost, uh, Luke uh, Hasworth, Ezramadu uh, went back to uh, he was on loan. Kyle Ventner we talked about already. Devin Jamga we talked about already. So you know they lost a lot of their team. So it's going to be very much a rebuilding year for them. Um, the the one uh, transfer in that they got was Charlie Dennis from Tormenta. So that was um, you know a, a decent get for them because Charlie you know did show pretty well for Tormenta last year and. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they build around him or, uh, again, if this team is going to continue to be very much a development platform for the first team and wind up with a lot of players in and out. Um, the, uh, 
you know, playing style, I'm guessing counterattack again, just because it's the easiest, but the first team plays very, very possession oriented and, and counterpressing, right? So um, if that's how they, uh, they, they, they do it, I suspect that they'll get countered themselves quite a lot again. Um, and that's what happened to Tucson late in the season last year. Um, you know, they, there were a lot of good things to say about Tucson last year, but again, new head coach, new, a lot of new players. So um, kind of hard to guess. Player to watch, someone who I'm going to be looking for is actually a young player named Daryl Longdon. Um, he's a left-footed number nine. Uh, he's very aggressive. He makes these really interesting runs off the ball where he'll uh, he'll you know make a far post run and then quickly cut inside to the near post and do the, and do just the opposite. Um, so really an interesting character for um, for for these guys to get. I, I I'm guessing that he's on the roster because FC Tucson likes some of what he had to show. Um, and he's very young. Um, I think he only graduated high school in 2018. So he's, um, you know, like 20 years old. Um, I, I don't think that FC Tucson is going to do particularly well. I have them finishing 10th. Um, so, you know, just off the bottom, not dissimilar to what happened to them last year. Last year they came in eighth. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I think this is a developmental team. Um, so here's my bold prediction. So their rivals are North Texas. My bold prediction is they will have a winning record against North Texas. That, and that includes the draws. How, how yeah, yeah. So, so okay. basically, they'll have like they'll have like a win, uh, like a win and three draws. Probably not. More like two wins, a draw, and a loss to North Texas. Wow. So, wow. Um, that's, you put the bold in bold. I'll tell you I, that. All my bold predictions are amazingly bold and absolutely. Uh, Probably absolutely wrong. No, um, <laughs> but I am excited to see them. I think that they're going to be a fun team. They have a lot of young players that they picked up that are that are going to be fun to watch. You talk about Shaq Adams, who Nashville picked up in the MLS Super Draft. You talk about Josh Cohen, who was one of the best players in USL League 2 last year. Uh, they've got some fun guys, but come on, man. You know I've been riding this train. I've been the conductor of this train since last year. This is the Eric Bergen hype train, baby. This boy is somebody to watch in the midfield. They let him, you know, they gave him the keys last year, let him, you know, drive the car at the end of the season when they saw that they weren't going to make the playoffs, and he was delivering. He is a very young, entertaining midfielder who is very good at passing, very good at dribbling. He's a very great creator, and when you have people like Charlie Dennis, you have people like Caparelli in the midfield who can overlap. You have Shaq Adams. This this is Bergen's team. I'm excited to see to see this offensive attack. Well, and just so everyone knows, I uh, I actually picked uh, the MVP of the year to come out of FC Tucson, um, and that player got cut before the season even started. Um, so you know, take take so, anything take that I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, although I think you guys actually agreed that that was a good shout back then. Um, all right, so should we go to questions, Jason, or do you have anything else to say about the the season and all of the guesses? Well, you you made predictions, I made guesses, so <laughs> let's let's make that straight, okay? Well, uh, let's let's just hope that the players that you talked about get to actually play this year. If, if yeah. not, then then I'm just gonna have to chop up to you being like the Madden curse, and you should never <laughs> you should never name anybody on this show ever again for their yeah, sake, for their benefit. The- that's fair. All right. So our friend and the color commentator for the Greenville Triumph, Ross Davenport, asks, did Greenville get better? Jason, did they? 
So, you know, the, in, in he particularly was talking about, you know, with the exits of Cole Seiler and, and Kevin Pulitz, uh, and, you know, it's a good question. You know, he, he, they brought in, you know, they brought in Brandon Fricky to to replace Pulitz. They they brought in, you know, Alex I, I think, Burrell. quite frankly, that's a like for like, right? I do. I, I, think, but I think that's I pretty do, much. But, like but, but, you know, you got Seiler and you've got Bermudez, you know, you – you bring in Morel. I think Morel and Bermudez is a good like for like. Siler, I think, is that piece to where we'll have to see what their midfield looks like, right? I, I think Siler is a big miss for them because he was versatile, can play in multiple place, at places. So we'll see what Muhammad can do. But here's the thing. I don't think they got worse. And they were already the second best team in the league last year. And so – all they've done is added more depth to the midfield and the attack. So I think at that, if they are, they definitely are not worse and they probably are slightly better. It just depends on how quick they can connect with each other. And, and I think the fact that they didn't have that much turnover is only going to benefit them where they're going to have that chemistry. And if you have, um, you know, you have guys like Gomez and, and Jake Keegan combining for a lot of goals, like they started to in the middle of last season, um, yeah, they, they could be really dangerous. So I agree with you. I don't think they're any worse. Um, I think the question is how much better did other teams get? Um, I think that's the going to be the question around them, right? And if like Tormenta stays fit and um, we, who knows about North Texas real, realistically, right? We don't know what the academy kids are going to be like. Um, so, um, so I agree. Ross, hope that answered your question. Uh, Jason, Injury Time asked, where do things stand for Fort Lauderdale? Do they have enough players to play with Inter Miami and Orlando? So <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so so the so so the answer the answer that I think I have through my through the grapevine is they have at least fifteen players rostered right now. So that's enough to field a team. <laughs> I, I guess that's not great for you to field a team in the dead heat of July. Because they're playing in Miami, right? And you get and you get five subs. So if you don't have at least sixteen on the roster, you, you can't even make yeah, all your subs. That's not that's not a good sign. Um, like I I expect that, and you know their academy is fairly new, right? So hopefully they they sign. Well, you can big... you can assign players to an academy contract that aren't actually in your academy. So okay, um, so, you know, so it's one I of these things where where basically you could go to uh, you know the the you know the local soccer club down the street and just say yeah. hey uh, let me take your best two players but, but <laughs> listen when we, when we talk about the schedule and we talk about benefits greenville is benefiting from this schedule like nobody's business because when we talk about you know harks putting in his new tactics and getting these new players together the fact that you get to do it against miami as your first game is is a blessing right so I, I think, or Fort Lauderdale, I apologize. I don't want anyone to start having geography wars with me the same way people are with you for Central Jersey. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a blessing for Greenville uh, and unfortunate for Fort Lauderdale that they have to go up against a team to where it, it's going to be tough to break down. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I'm, I I can have this feeling that I could feel really bad for Fort Lauderdale. So um I recall a couple of years ago, who was it? It was a LA, um, it was LA Galaxy two, right? Los uh, Los Dos. Mm-hmm. They had fielded for one of their matches like an entire academy team, and they lost like eight nil or something. So, so, so what are we predicting? How bad is it going to be? 
I mean, they're going to lose by multiple goals. Maybe they sneak one in. I don't know, five one. <laughs> the fact that you think they score a goal is amazing. I'm going to. I'm going to say. Well, I, I mean, I can see Coach Harks being like, "Oh, this is bad." Here, two guys just come off. I'm not going to substitute anyone in yet. So, yeah, I, I think. I think if anything, you're you'll you'll they'll be lucky that these players are just kind of getting back into shape. So I think there's going to be substitutions. I don't think you know a lot of these offensive players are going to go the full ninety. So I'm is, looking at. Greenville traveling down there by bus. Because, I, I mean, it's a I, long trip, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so you know, they could be a little, they could be a little fatigued from that. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, their bus looks great, but I would imagine inside, if you're on that bus for eight or nine hours, it's- I will say, yeah. If Miami does sneak a goal, I think it's at the very beginning, and it's just out of nowhere, like a long ball, handball in the box, or a PK or something um, that might scare them. But now I'm looking at. I think Greenville probably takes this one three four zero. Yeah, um, I mean that's probably better than than anything else. Uh, f- forward Madison France. Uh, Bonjour, Natalie. <laughs> asks, how much of an impact do you think having to play uh, home games away from your home will impact forward Madison? I, I think personally, I think not as much as you might think. Primarily because the with all the social distancing going on, the the stadium vibe is going to be much different. So that energy that the home team might get from playing in their home stadium might not be as impactful for almost anyone in the, in the league. Um, I mean, knowing the turf and how things bounce might make things a little bit trickier. But I think in, in aggregate, you know, just because of how few people there's going to be at most of these games, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to give forward Madison the, the, the benefit I think that they got last year from having that great crowd and, and stadium environment. Jason, and, do you have a different opinion? Yeah. For the people who don't know and haven't seen, you know, Ford won't be playing at their normal stadium. Uh, they'll be playing at a separate stadium, uh, I believe for the whole season. Um, and so that's what she's alluding to. And it's one of those things to where, like you said, yeah, I think because if this was a different, if, if this was a season where you have the full crowd and everything, I think that hurts them more. But I think what you were saying is, you know, they practice at Breeze all the time and they know that field and, and they're familiar with it. Now they have to go to another field. I think, you know, it kind of levels it, right? You don't necessarily get, you already don't get the crowd. So you, you're not getting the home field advantage that way. Now you're getting a different field. Um, so I think it does affect them. I don't think it does that much. But I think it does level the playing field even a little bit. When you look at, uh, you know, what Ford was doing last year, you know, you watch these interviews, Connor and the team, they said that, you know, playing at home for them was comforting. It was like this, this boost of confidence. And so, yeah, the no fans, I think, hurts more than not playing in their regular stadium. But I do think that, like you, like you alluded to earlier, that playing, you know, on a, on a field that you're not used to kind of takes away that advantage that you already have. Yeah. So our last question of the night, uh, before I uh, ask you to write the show notes and and I edit this thing, (laughs) Fritz asks, no team relied on a single player for offense last year more than Richmond. I'm not so sure I agree with that. And Joe Joe Gallardo. Who would you you say? Well, I mean, quite, quite frankly, Greenville outside of Keegan until the last three games, like, yeah, because nah, Greenville had Bermudez, right? They had JJ Donnelly with the holdup. Uh, Joe Joe was leading in goals, chances created, assists. I, I think that when you take Joe out, like if, put it this way, who's more of a successful team? You take Joe off of Richmond or you take 
uh, Carlos off of Greenville. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can see the point. Uh, so anyway, he's gone now. Uh, notes Fritz. Yeah. In this case, is this a case of addition by subtraction? Even if Gallardo is very good, um, are they going to be more dangerous with a more egalitarian attack? Or would they be better with a playmaker like Gallardo? That's, what a, do you that's think? a really good question because there's also times to where you can tell Gallardo thought he had to do it all, right? There was times where he would beat two people and then had the layoff pass and wouldn't take it because he's so used to trying to do everything or he would uh, make unnecessary moves, to, you know, trying to beat a defender that he didn't have to, right? He would try to go into a corner and, and you know, get around the defender down the line, didn't have to, could have brought the ball back out. So it's a really good question. And I think it all comes down to coach's tactics, right? Is it one of those things to where you guys are going to have two up top and you try a new thing to where it's not individual efforts like it was last year where, you know, you try to just get Joe in space and go one B one, or is it one of those things to where you, you know, put someone in Joe's position and you try to have them recreate it, which I don't think they'll do. I think they're going to do more something to where they'll have two up top or they'll have, you know, players that are giving off on each other, going, giving and going, um, you know, they brought in uh, Argentinian veteran in Emiliano Terzaki and I think he's going to be someone who he's a proven goal scorer. He's, he's played in premier, you know, Argentina. I think he's going to be somebody that is someone that can help create that offense and kind of bridge together the midfield and the attack. So Jason, you, uh, you asked me before who was going to score the goals in Richmond and you just answered your own question. But I don't know if he's going to score that. My thing yeah. is I, I like I, I can, he, he's, he's, when you look at his career, he scores goals, right? But he's, not necessarily a goal scorer. He hasn't scored that many. And he seems to be not also to the guy that has the assist. He's the guy that will hold the ball up, pass it off to a winger on the run who then can send the ball in and score. So my question is, if he does that, hands it off to Riley Kraft, who's Riley Kraft crossing it to? Who's Mwape crossing it to? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Right. Fair enough. All right, with that, this is a supersized episode of League One Fun. And a super size. Well, no, it's not a super size. It's more like a happy meal size season. But, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm just glad we got a season, right? It got any, any season. I just hope everyone stays safe in those stadiums. So if you yeah. go to the stadium, if you go to the stadium, have a great time. Put on your mask and social distance. That's all yes. I ask you. And right? owners, if you're listening to this, please have somebody go and enforce that. You know, it, it's no one wants to see someone five feet away from a player without a mask on. The idea is the first and number one priority is the safety of the players and staff of your team. So please ensure that people are following the safety protocols and that we're not putting people at risk. And let's face it, we do this and, you know, we can have soccer back, right? If we if we can't do this and, and we can't all work together as, you know, players, fans, and staff and uh, and, and do this we right, don't, we don't deserve we risk, it. We, we don't, risk yeah, the we, season being over very quickly, right? And we don't deserve it. So with that, Jason, where can people connect with you? You can find me on Twitter at Home Sweet Soccer. Ira, we'll have to flip a coin to see who gets to cover which game. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. I wanna, I'll be live tweeting one of them. So, okay, there you go. Um, I, I don't even know, they're both on Saturday at eight o'clock Eastern Time, yes. is that right? Yeah. ESPN Plus, and for international viewers, it'll be on YouTube. 
Well, I take it you're you're going to do the Tormenta Richard. Uh, excuse me, the the yeah, the Tormenta Richard. Tormenta. I was trying to get. I was trying to give you a coin flip. I was trying to be a. You're trying, trying to do to that. Friendly, why, you know. Why don't we just? Why don't we just both do both? I mean, I, I mean, I'm not gonna. I, I, I don't know. I would. I think live, I am going to watch the uh, Richmond Tormenta game, and I will definitely watch the Greenville Fort Lauderdale game, but on replay. Right. So. Um, and I would recommend maybe, maybe I'll watch the first four goals Greenville puts in and then <laughs> switch over by minute 15 to the other game. I think well, that's nice, the, the nice thing is if you uh, log into two different devices, you can just watch them side by side anyway. So I'll, I'll do go. that probably. All, All right. right. Yeah. I can be found at Ira Jersey and you can connect with the show on Twitter at league one fun. That's at, uh, that's at league and the number one fun. We also have a League One Fun Facebook page too that um, that, that I've had a, a little bit of bants with some people recently. Uh, so you know, feel free to look at us there too. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, and check out BGN.fm for other great podcasts, including the ten thousand words that Jason wrote at some point. Is that up yet, Jason? No, it is not. And I don't appreciate you putting deadlines on me. I'm trying, okay? I work three jobs. Life is hard right now. Uh, We're in a pandemic. I, I don't need the stress. I, I get it. You committed to this last week. It wasn't you know, it wasn't me. I didn't even know you were I, I, I'm hoping to have this up on Thursday. I'm going to try to finish it Wednesday, and then I'm going to bother Carson to edit it all night Wednesday. So there, hopefully there Thursday morning. We'll so work Thursday, Friday. It doesn't matter. You have till Saturday. Come on. It's 10,000 words. I till Friday. I promise y'all it's going to be by, by Friday. It's 10,000 words. Come on. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And, of course, Icarus FC, where you can get some great kits for your youth team, your, uh, your, your men's league team, or any kind of custom kit, or a team that doesn't even exist, like Asbury Park FC or uh, you know some, some of those. Anyway, Jason. Have a great night, and the next time I'll talk to you is next week, baby, when everyone will be ready to talk about the Eric Bergen hype train. And with that, all aboard! Hashtag support local soccer.